This morning we're going to uh, do things a little bit differently than normal. Um, we're going to have communion and uh, a teaching time that goes along with that. And then uh, Brad Kelly, who is the chairman of the Elder Board, is going to give us kind of a State of the Union address, um, just letting you know what's going on, some of the things the elders have been planning and talking about, and just kind of a time to uh, inform you just about uh, some things that have been, some things that are, and some things we hope to see happen in the future. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, and we want to look at just an aspect of this text, which is Paul's explanation of the Lord's Supper to the Corinthian church who was having some problems in this area. Paul wrote to them because... um, they were in sin, and uh, they were experiencing some things that uh, were not good, and so Paul wanted to help them out and, and just explain to them some of the reasons why they were coming together and some of the things they shouldn't do and some of the things they should do. And in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, this is what we read. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together uh, as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be also factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. What was happening is is they had what was called the love feast. And during that love feast, they would come together and celebrate what we are going to celebrate this morning. Yet in the process of the love feast, there were some who were rich and some who were poor, and they were making distinctions among the rich and the poor, and there were actually poor people sitting there watching rich people eat and indulge themselves and get drunk, and they were having nothing. And they were actually being despised, and all this supposedly to celebrate Christ and His death and His resurrection and His life given for us on the cross and... And Paul was rebuking them rather seriously. He goes on in verse 23 to remind them of what they were supposed to do. For he says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We just sang that song. In the same way, verse 25 says, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You wonder why we sing that song? Because of what the Word of God says here. This is a time to remember Christ, to remember that He died on the cross for our sins, that He gave His life, that His body was tortured for us on our behalf, that He would redeem for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good works, that He would free us from bondage to sin, and so we could become slaves of righteousness. Then He goes on. In verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat and wait for one another, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Now this morning, I want to look at the verses of 27 and 32 just briefly, and, and just talk about a little concept here of self-examination, and, and maybe something that some of you have not thought of before. A lot of times we read through the Old Testament and we read things like the flood, where the whole world was destroyed because of the ungodliness of men. We read things like the ten plagues in Exodus, all these plagues which came upon the idol-worshipping Egyptians because they refused to submit to God. We see God use the Israelites in the book of Joshua to judge the wicked, to drive them out, to totally destroy whole groups of people. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see these incredible acts of God, like in 2 Kings 19, where the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 Assyrians. And you can think to yourself, whoa, God was really serious back then i am glad uh, i am glad i live in the new testament times but we need to realize that these things that happened back then happened by the same god the same god who is the same yesterday and today and forever and who never changes turn back to 1 corinthians 10 And here, in the first part of this chapter, we are told why those things happened. In verse 1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, speaking of the Exodus. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. He's saying they all left Egypt, they all went through the sea, they all ate manna that fell from heaven. And drank from the same spiritual rock, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Speaking of their unwillingness to believe God's word and and enter into the land, and so they were killed by God in the wilderness. Then notice what he says in verse 6. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. 
Do you see why God did those things in the Old Testament? Is to be an example for you that you wouldn't crave those same evil things. He goes on to say, Do not be idolater as some of them were, and as written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and went um, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. In each of these cases, God's people, his covenant people Israel, sinned and received a judgment from their Lord. And then look at verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, an example for us. He repeats the same thing he said in verse 6. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So all these things happened, and we see God doing these incredible deeds in the Old Testament, and we can begin to think, well, this is, this is something that, that God did to just pagans, but no, he did it to his own people. Remember Nadab and Abihu, the, the priests, the, the sons of Aaron, how they were struck dead because they failed to treat God as holy? God told Aaron he couldn't even mourn for them. Consider that Moses, who was more humble than any man who ever lived, according to Numbers 12.3, consider that Moses was not able to enter the promised land because he treated God as unholy by striking the rock with anger. He was the man who spoke to God face to face, but God would not let him enter the land because of his sin. Think about Uzzah. You remember him, the man who was going along with the ark? And David was all excited. He was dancing. He was happy. They were bringing the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. But they were not bringing it the way God prescribed. And they put it on a cart. And they weren't supposed to touch it. But they did anyways. And it was starting to to totter. And and Uzzah just, um, you know, under concern that the ark would fall on the ground, just reached out his hand to steady it. And when it touched him, God struck him dead. Well, that is interesting, because when we think about that, we can think, well, boy, I am so glad that God doesn't do those things today. Think about David, the man after God's own heart, and how God struck his child dead that he had with Bathsheba because of his sin. And we can think that is all Old Testament, and that's done away with, and, and we are now in an age of grace. Well, they were in an age of grace, too. It was not realized to the extent it is now realized, but the whole law was an act of grace, and God's forgiveness and His provision for sacrifice was grace. And God is the same God today that He was back then. And when we look at the text before us, we find out that this holy God is the same God, and at times we can treat him as unholy and presume that he will extend grace to us beyond what we deserve, which is no grace at all. We deserve nothing good from God. It is offered to us freely as a gift. If you were to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man who is caught in immorality. And this man who was caught in immorality needed to be disciplined. And look at verse 5. 
Paul says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Not only they were to cast him out, but in doing so, just give him over to Satan so that he would die because of the consequences of his sin. We already studied 1 Timothy 1.20 where Hymenaeus and Alexander were handed over to Satan so they would be taught not to blaspheme. You read in 1 John 5.16, it warns that we not commit the sin leading to death. Here in 1 Corinthians 11, we come upon the very same thing because verse 30 says, look at, look at verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Notice the three categories he has here. The first is, many among you are weak. When a believer comes, he celebrates this. He has unconfessed sin in his heart. God may zap him of his strength. May make him weak, tired, Worn out. Do you remember what David said in Psalm 32 when he kept silent about his sin? He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That is exactly what is happening here in the church. And will happen today in the church if people come and eat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. This is exactly the same thing. But that's not all. Look at verse 30 also. The second category, he says, and some were not only weak, but they were sick. God had not only weakened some, he had caused some to undergo some illness. Why? Because they had come with this sin in their lives and they weren't dealing with it. Yet they were, they were supposedly praising God for the death of his son, which was to free them from bondage to sin so they could walk in newness of life. But they were walking in oldness of life while celebrating the very act which was supposedly to deliver them and make them people for God's possession, zealous for good works. Instead, they were doing evil works. Like Miriam, Moses' sister, who was struck with leprosy because of what she did, so many today are struck with sickness. God will strike believers in the church today with sickness if they come and partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Finally, look at verse 30. It says, and some were now sleeping. This is a figure of speech to describe death. Some were dead because they continued in sin while celebrating the Lord's Supper. That is a scary thought, isn't it? To think that some people might be dead because they would come and live in hypocrisy and harbor these sins in their heart and yet celebrate the Lord's Supper. But that's what Paul says happened. Turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. In James 5... Verse 14, he addresses this same issue. New Testament, church. Is anyone among you sick? 
Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There are two things here that you need to note. One is, is there is a person in sickness. Another is, is they call for the elders. And this anointing with oil, um, most of the medicines then were were applied through oil. Oil was the medium. They put herbs and things. And so I think what he's saying here, give them proper medical treatment and pray for them. And then notice what it says in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now, notice here what is causing the sickness. In some cases, when somebody is sick and they call for the elders and the elders go and pray for them and that person gets better, what this text is saying is is that in some cases it's because they have sin, unconfessed sin, and they realize it. And they call for the elders, and the elders pray for them. He goes on to say, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. Why? Because of the sin. Notice, confess your sins so that you might be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The point, it teaches the same thing in 1 Corinthians 11 here. Some had come to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were sick. James says the same thing happens and sometimes when somebody realizes they have been in sin and they are sick, they can go ask the elders to pray for them and if they are truly penitent and the elders pray for them, they will be restored if, in fact, their sickness was brought about by unconfessed sin. And you might ask yourself, why does this happen? I mean, why does God do this? I mean, this text talks about judgment, and this is a text talking to believers. I thought we have escaped judgment. Well, we have escaped judgment in eternity, but not in this life. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. This is a familiar text to many of us. Look at verse 5. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord love, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure, and God deals with you as sons. And what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Notice here that every son whom he receives, 
He disciplines. All who are truly sons of God will be disciplined. Why? So we may share his holiness. So we may have righteousness in our life. And if you look back at 1 Corinthians 11, as he is talking about judgment, he says in verse 32, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned with the world. This is talking about the same thing. God is willing to discipline those believers who live in unconfessed sin for their good that they might become more holy and share in His righteousness. God loves His children too much to let them live in sin if they refuse to obey Him. He would not be a good father. Every son who is not disciplined, according to Proverbs, is hated by his father. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, I know I have lived in sin, and I have eaten the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin in my life, and I have not repented from that sin, and I have not been judged, and nothing has happened to me, and I am doing fine. Well, then you know something, don't you? You know from this text One of two things, and that is, judgment is coming because God disciplines every son whom he receives. Or, secondly, and more probably, is that you are not a child of God. You don't know Christ. You just say you do. You just think you do. You have never really come to the place in your life where you've actually acknowledged, I am a sinner And I want to turn from my sin and I want to follow after the Lord. I want Christ to be my Lord, not me. I want Christ to lead me, not myself. I want to forsake my sins and I want to pursue righteousness. And if you have never come to that place in your life, that is why you have not been judged. Because you are not a child of God, you are a child of Satan. And Satan will leave you alone. If you sin, as a matter of fact, he prefers it. And if this is the case with you, then it is time to repent. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and he will have compassion on you and he will abundantly pardon you. But until you're willing to turn from your wicked deeds and wicked thoughts, you are not a child of God and this is just a mockery. You just come here to mock God. It's time for you to heed the words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 13. Jesus was traveling along and some men came up to him and a very interesting thing happened. There were some Jews who most likely were political zealots. And these Jews were fighting against Rome. And Pilate heard of it. And what he did is, is he had them hunted down, and the soldiers seemed to have caught up with them while they were in the temple, while they were offering sacrifices, and they slew them while they were worshiping God. And these people are asking Jesus about this incident because they are wondering how God could ever allow his people in the very act of worshiping be killed. And this is what 
the text says in Luke 13, 1 through 5. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? In their minds, oh boy, they must have been extra bad sinners and that's why God did that. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Then Jesus adds another example to drive the point home. And he speaks of this tower that fell on the south side of Jerusalem. There was this this pool, the pool of Siloam. And apparently they were building a big tower there next to the pool. And something happened and the tower fell and some people were killed. And this is what he says in verse 4. Or do you suppose that those who... Those um, 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Some of you have received Jesus as fire insurance to save you from your sins. Some of you have been willing to give him lip service to say, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe he died on the cross. But what you have never done is you have never really repented of your sins. You have never really turned to Christ to follow him. You only want God to save you from hell, but you don't want him being your Lord and Master and King. And if that is you, you must repent. Or you will likewise perish. There is no other cure. And you can do that now. In the quietness of your heart. In a minute. We are going to have some silent prayer. We are going to pass out the elements. And we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And if you have never really received Christ and all that he is, if you have never really embraced him as your Savior and Lord and committed to following him, now is the time. Today you can have communion and truly celebrate Jesus' death on the cross for your sins and be forgiven and be saved. And this is what God wants for you. Others of you who are saved and yet have sin in your life, maybe bitterness towards somebody, unforgiveness. Maybe you have some things in your life you know you're doing and you know they're not right and you're convicted about it, but not convicted enough to turn. It's time to to deal with that now before we partake. And so right now, as the gentlemen come forward and uh, we're going to have a moment of prayer Looking to our hearts, as Paul commands us in this text, just a moment of quiet self-examination, and then we will partake of the elements and celebrate the death of our Lord. Let's pray.